0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Even as the lamb can't find himself, certainly the coin can't recover itself. In both cases, Jesus is trying to to connect the dots, to, to make the parallel between what the Father does when something's lost. He seeks, he searches, he finds, he rejoices, he celebrates, and he says, celebrate with me.
0: In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, Lost and Found. We're studying in Luke chapter 15 and we take up today in verse eight as we look at the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son. In both cases, we get a great picture of God's heart toward the lost, so let's listen in. Now we get to this
1: lost coin and it's helpful to know that married women in that day and in that culture often wore a headdress of tin coins. And, and, and so it's very much like a wedding ring today for, for you married gals. And, and and you know, to lose your wedding ring, that would be a disaster. In fact, if you've ever made the mistake of taking it off and setting it up there by the sink while you're, you know, doing the pots and pans, you don't want to bang it up. Just bang it up. It's gold. They can reshape it. But but listen, the deal is you don't want to risk it going down the drain. If you haven't done it, don't try it. I just take my word for it. But but of course, a wedding ring, it's so valuable, not just because it's made of precious metal, but because of what it represents. And these coins represented something, not just wealth or not just if anything goes wrong, at least I got the coin. No, the, the reality is is, is that, that it was a symbol of, of her relationship. And so when she loses a coin, it, it says she, she searches, she, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the house. She searches carefully until she finds it and And having found it, she brings the celebration, gets her neighbors together. Rejoice with me. I found the peace which I lost. And again, likewise, I say to you, there's joy in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, now check this out again. Even as the lamb can't find himself, certainly the coin can't recover itself. In both cases, Jesus is trying to to connect the dots, to to make the parallel between what the father does when something's lost. He seeks. He searches. He finds. He rejoices. He celebrates and he says, celebrate with me. And, And so far, everybody's celebrating until we get to, well, the third story. He says in verse 11, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, take note from the get go. Both brothers are getting what they have coming. It's a little unorthodox, a little unusual, though not illegal, for the younger brother to ask for his inheritance. But but see, it said he divided to them. I wanted to make sure that everybody connects with that thought. The older brother got a double portion of the inheritance. So the fact that the younger brother asked for his ahead of time means now the older brother has his inheritance too. I guess that means dad's retired and maybe that's good for dad. But The bottom line is it's not illegal, but very unusual. It's sort of, well, and I don't want to read anything into it, but it's like the younger son looks and thinks, you know, dad's healthy. And I want to go out while I'm young and and explore and experience. And whatever he was thinking, he saw fulfillment out there somewhere. He, He couldn't see that. Here in my father's house, I have everything I need. I have a name. I have a family. I have a future. Everything that, that, that God's purposed and planned for me, it's here. No, his vision was out there. And I'd like to suggest that happens to us, that, that we can start being so dissatisfied with what God's provided for us that we start thinking there has to be something better. There has to be something greater in his case. He goes to his father and says, I want what I've got coming. I want my part of the inheritance. And the father gives it to him. Now, not after, not many days after, excuse me, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He wanders away. He wastes all that, that, had been entrusted to his care of course we're stewards of our inheritance and and now he's wasted his it gets worse though when he'd spent all there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country he sent him into his fields to feed swine not exactly the career he anticipated when he left home you see it's not really kosher to, to be dealing with pigs as a young Jewish man. And, and I mean, it, you, they didn't eat them and they didn't raise them and, and they were offended by them. And if you've ever, you know, watched those little things, you understand why. But anyway, it says he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. Now. We're going to see where the Lord's going with this, but but let me just say there's a definite spiritual parallel for us. Because if we start thinking, hey, it must be more, there must be more that has to be out there somewhere. And we start wandering away from the Lord. And Hebrews, as you go through the, the earlier chapters, you, you can see this, this uh, process of wandering away, drifting from the word and then doubting. And then it, it just one leads to another, to another, to another, till there's just despair and depression. And well, it's very similar to what we're reading here. but But we can wander and then we can waste our inheritance. I mean, God has something for us and he's entrusted things to us and and what's the end result? We end up hungering. For us it could just be a spiritual hunger just to get back to the word of God. For me personally, well, God worked in unique thing. And I think he did it with a lot of Calvary pastors. He, he knows us perfectly. And, and he's like, you know what? You're you're going to drift unless I keep you close. He goes, I know what I'll do. I'll make him a pastor. He'll have to be in the word all the time. He'll be accountable to all these people. There's no way to drift away because I got to stand before you. There's no way to continue without repenting because I can't stand and say God calls you to repent when I know it's God calls us to repent. So the the reality is, is it is some of you may have wandered. You, You may have been wasting away and wasting your inheritance and you're hungering for for well. Just how it used to be. And that's what starts happening with this young man. Well, you've come to the right place if that's the case. He's going to come to his senses and realize, hey, things were a lot better in my father's house than I realized when I was back there at home. And by the way, first story, Jesus mentions repentance. Second story, Jesus mentions repentance. Third story, there's no mention of repentance. And here's why. Repentance is in the story. And we get to see what repentance really looks like. And we also get to see what repentance isn't. Repentance includes remorse but is far more than remorse that's the very first thing that happens verse 17 when he came to himself we might use the phrase he came to his senses but it actually makes sense that he says he came to himself he realized who he was he was the son of a father who who had not just stuff but but it's where he belonged it's It's where his ties were. It's where his past was, where his future was. So he came to his senses. He came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? See, this is a change of mind. It's a realization that that I could be in a much better situation than the one I'm in. And it's also a realization that I got myself into this mess. And, and I got to tell you, that is the first step in repentance. But I've met many, many people over the years who have decided that the way they're living, the things they're doing are not only not productive, but counterproductive, self-destructive, destroying Your health or your family, your relationships alienated the people you love and and should be caring for and enjoying. And and, and so if that's happened, well, he, he came to his senses. He came to himself. He realized, hey, servants in my dad's house are faring better than I am out here. And then the second step in repentance. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I love this. He says, I will arise. And it's the second step. He, he purposes. He has a change of mind. He has a change of heart. Now, instead of, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to see and I'm going to experience and I'm going to be. It's I just want to go home. And I'm going to go home. That, that's the second step. He purposes in his heart to return to his father and to his father's house. But again, I've known many over the years who've been convicted that the way they're living is wrong and it's making them and others miserable and they purpose to make a change and then never make the change. Man, if if that's you, Make sure you get to the third step. By the way, this humbled sinner says, I'm going to go home and say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I think I made mention of it last time, but just in case, all sin is against God. And so he's going to confess to his dad, I sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, Paul would say after his conversion that though he was an apostle, he was the least of the apostles because he persecuted the church of God. And so humility, that's a part of repentance Remorse, yes. A desire to change, absolutely. A purpose to change, but you can get two-thirds of the way there and never repent. I pray that doesn't happen to any of you or to anyone that you love and are reaching out to. See, here's the third step in repentance, and it's an essential step, verse 20. It's a change of direction. It's a change of lifestyle. It's the real meaning of repentance to change. He arose and came to his father. It's not enough to be miserable where you are. It's not enough to say, I'm going to change. You have to actually change. And in his case and in our case, it's just coming back to the father. Everything changes when we get back to the father. And so he says, He arose. He came to his father. But while he was still a great way off and tune into the scene, you have all these tax collectors and sinners and they're leaning in. You can just picture it. They're tuning in. This is they want to know what's the father going to do. While he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him i love this the father's been watching for him he sees him way out on the road and his heart just goes out to him and then he begins to run toward him i got to tell you the pharisees and scribes in that room would have thought oh that is just shameful i'd never be caught doing something like that exactly that's the problem you see the heart of god is such that that in a culture where Older men just didn't run. It's just not done. He doesn't care. Now this father, his heart is overcoming his his head and he doesn't care what people think of him or think of his son. Just wants to wrap his arms around his son and receive him back. As his son comes to him, he begins his little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer to be called your son. He doesn't even get to the rest. Why? The father cuts him off, not to rebuke him, not to slam him, not to say, do you know what I've been through here? How much I've been worrying about you? Those words sound familiar at all. This father's heart is just like, hey, look at the response. The father says to his servants, verse 22, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. What did he say? I just want to be received back as a servant. Let me tell you, the servants in the house didn't wear the best robe in the house, nor did they wear fancy rings or or nor did they wear sandals on their feet. He says, I just want to be received back as a servant. But the father is like, you're still my son. You were my son when you were here. You were my son when you were gone. You're, You're my son now that you're back. You'll always be. Your father's son. And then he says, bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. This is so important. This is how the father sees those who are alienated from him because of sin, dead and trespasses and sin. And there's only two options, dead or alive. He wants you alive. There was a show when I was growing up, dead or alive. No, he wants you alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And then they began to be merry. Now, if you've read this story or you're familiar with it and you're like, you know, I know there were a lot of people like that. In fact, my brother's like that. I was always home. I took care of the house. I took care of my mom or my dad. He was just a party boy and wasted everything. And Then, you know, he got all this stuff. I just don't think it's right. If you are are like that, maybe you're not. Hopefully you're not. But if you're like, I just don't relate to this story because I'm the good one. You know, there's always a good one and a bad one. A white sheep and a black sheep in the family. If you're the good sheep and you think this story isn't about you, well, we haven't gotten to you yet. So hang with me. You're here. His older son was in the field. Verse 25, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Take note. In the first story, the, the, the lost sheep, there's a celebration when that sheep is found. In the lost coin, there's a celebration when the coin is found. In this story, there is a celebration when the sun is restored when he repents when he comes home, but not everyone's celebrating. And Jesus, remember the context—he's talking to the religious leaders who had problems with the fact that he was receiving the very people he came to seek and to save—the lost, the unrighteous, the needy, the the, the wandering and and herding sheep. Well his attitude was really their attitude he was angry and would not go in but his anger is met by the same patience and grace as father had demonstrated to his brother and i love that because remember this is about the father he's trying to show us the father's heart and he and he wants us to have the father's heart and he wanted them to see it and them to have it the father's all about restoring That which was lost, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'd suggest to you that in this story, there are two lost sons. There's the one who wandered and there's the one who stayed. And and as as he begins to share his bitterness, he answers saying to his father, lo, these many years, verse 29, I have been serving you I never transgressed your commandment at any time, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. The servant, by the way, said, your brother's home. Your father, oh, he's so excited. And, And look at this. He can't even bring himself to call him his brother. He says, but as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. It's a side note. I think it was Gail Irwin who first pointed it out, but I want to point out to you that, well, those of us who are faithful, who are in the Father's house, who aren't transgressing, who are living as God intended, we can have very vivid imaginations when it comes to what we think is probably going on out there. And that's what's happening here. There's nothing in the story up to this point that said this guy had been with harlots. We don't know that. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. How would his brother know? He doesn't. It's just what he's thinking. Yeah, he's out there partying. He's wasting everything. He's with those harlots. and, And we need to be very careful about that kind of a judgmental spirit. And that's exactly what was happening at the table that day, you see. And he just can't believe it. He wasted all. He lives this life and then he has nothing. He comes back and you kill the fatted calf for him. He said, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I made mention of it. The lost sheep was never going to find his way home. He had to be sought out by the father. And we see the heart of the father and that he goes after the lost sheep. The lost coin could never recover itself. So again, it's a picture of the father's heart. He he has something for the guys. He has something for the gals. but, But both are a picture of the heart of the father. He goes after it. He seeks. He finds rejoices the lost son unlike the sheep unlike the coin can in fact find his way home and this is where it really changes so so track with me for a second and we're going to wrap this up we're not dumb animals no offense to dumb animals you know if you work for PETA don't write me a letter we're not lifeless coins, no offense to lifeless coins, though I doubt that they're going to be offended. No, we have the ability to consider, to choose, to change, to repent, and to alter our direction, our behavior, our lifestyle. And we see all that in the story and really that's what he's trying to show those self-righteous religious leaders. That that if we've wandered, we could find our way home. And and, and if we've stayed home, but we think we're better than those who've wandered, well, we need to repent. We need to change our mind about what we have and and why we have it. And it's not because we're so good. It's because the Father's so good. Yeah, we're blessed, but we're blessed because he's a blessing and giving and gracious God. You see, the prodigal had that ability to reason, to reflect, to repent, to return. And that's true for every lost sinner. We need to know there's no one God can't reach, that the blood he shed is sufficient to cover the sin of every sinner who ever lived. Will all of them repent? Of course not. The scripture is very clear on that. But we don't know that they won't. So we should always have a heart to reach out and represent. The self-righteous Pharisees, these scribes who accompanied them, they should have been able to do the same. And I like to suggest we know at least a couple of them did. We know that Joseph of Arimathea, we know Nick who came at night, both of those were Pharisees. We know that they did in fact become real believers in Jesus. How many others? We don't know, but, but, but we do know. That the prodigal had to come home and the one who was at home needed to repent as well. We see similarities in all three. The joy and rejoicing that follows restoration and repentance. We see the heart of God and we see the hard heartedness of the religious leaders. Finally, I'm reminded and I want to remind you all we like sheep have gone astray.
0: Think of the blind man that Jesus healed and restored his eyesight to in chapter 9 in the Gospel of John. When he was asked about Jesus, he proclaimed that all I know is that I was blind and now I see. This is a proclamation that each and every one of us can make. As the world questions us and asks us why do we believe in God, or mocks us for following Christ, we can simply say, All I know is that once I was lost, but now It surrounds me And your peace It fills
1: my